All right, we're in Genesis 22 today. One of the uh, stories that, from Genesis that we're probably very familiar with, one of the most important uh, stories because of its, uh, uh, because of all the typology that's in this specific chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter. Chapter 22. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And when they had come to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Abuz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jibdlaf, and Bethuel, Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Remua, bore Teba, Gehem, Tehash, and Mekah. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for that absolutely fantastic picture that we get from this chapter and what it means to us and what it shows us thousands of years before Christ we even went to the cross. 
We thank you for this. We thank you for the power of your word. And we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 22 starts with this phrase. It says, after these things. Chapter 21 ends with this sentence in verse 34 of chapter 21. It says, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So there's a mathematical equation here. All right, so the mathematical equation is uh, many days plus after these things equals time has passed. Okay, that's the mathematical equation. Isaac was two or three years old at the end of the last chapter. At the beginning of the next chapter, Isaac will be 37 years old. So somewhere in the midst of this chapter, time has passed, right? We're somewhere in between three and 37 years old for Isaac. So we can't say specifically how much time has passed. We just know time has passed. But most people believe that Isaac at this point is anywhere between 16 to 30 years old. So if you want to know how much time has passed. I have a good guess. How about 33? You might understand that reference uh, later. But it would seem that during this time, uh, from the end of the last chapter to this chapter, however many years have passed, 16, 30, 25, Josephus said that he believed Isaac was 25 years old. But um, whatever the time frame, doesn't matter. God hadn't really spoken to Abraham during this time. Okay? But now, I mean, God has spoken to Abraham almost in every chapter since we were introduced to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, right? Uh, he he you know, started when the Lord called him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and into the land of Canaan. And at the end of chapter 12, right, the Lord appears to him and says, to your offspring, I will give this land. And then chapter 13, the Lord says to Abraham, among other things, he says a lot of things to Abraham, but he says, among other things, he says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that one can count the dust of the earth. Your offspring can also be counted, right? Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. And then in chapter 15, God tells Abraham, uh, fear not, I am your shield, your reward. You shall be very great. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. If you remember chapter 15 and chapter 17, when Abraham was 90 years old, right? The Lord appears to Abraham again and tells him, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless. He also then promised Abraham that indeed their son would come from Sarah, it would be from his wife, and his name will be Isaac. He told him that back in chapter 17. In chapter 18, the Lord appeared to him again by the Oaks of Mamre. He stops by for some lunch. Right? And they have that whole conversation concerning whether or not the Lord's going to judge the righteous with the wicked. That's in chapter 18 of Genesis. In chapter 21, the Lord speaks again to Abraham concerning Abraham having to cast out Hagar and Ishmael and, his, and the fact that he was upset about it. He didn't want to do it. Right? The Lord spoke to him again. So the Lord's been constantly having conversations with Abraham. But it's been a while. Right? It's been a while. But now when the Lord speaks to him here, after, let's just say, 30 some odd years, he speaks to him specifically for one reason, and that's to test him. It says right there at the beginning, after these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, what's great is even after uh, 
however many years, after, say, 30 years, Abraham still immediately knew it was God's voice. He says, here I am. God, I'm right here. Which is great because, you know, the more that you stay in communication with the Lord, the more that you stay in the Word, the more that you stay in prayer, the more that you stay, uh, draw close to the Lord in your quiet times, the easier it gets to be for you to recognize God's voice. And so when God calls on you, you don't have to say, who's that? Right? You don't have to say, what? What? Who's, who's, who's speaking? Was that? Did you? Right? You can say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. So even after all this time, after possibly 30 years, Abraham just says, here I am. I'm right here, Lord. What is it that you want? (laughs) Maybe he'll wish he didn't ask that question. But it says then in verse 2, God tells him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Excuse me, Lord? I I don't know what your response would have been. Excuse me, Lord? I mean, there's a quote by Spurgeon that says, I can't imagine a greater test than that which the Lord applied to Abraham. Right? The Jews usually say that Abraham was tried ten times, but surely on this occasion he was tried ten times at once. This is the first use of the word test. It means tempt or proof or put to the test here in, in Genesis, in the Bible. What do you, I mean, what do you think about being tested by the Lord? All right? I mean, has the Lord been testing you? Because the Lord does test you. We've talked about this before. Not every difficult experience that you go through in life is a test from God. Not, they aren't all tests from God. Some are just difficult experiences, a lot of which you bring on yourself. Right? Some are caused by your own actions. But, but some of them are, indeed, tests from God. Right? There's a quote that says that faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. The Lord uh, tests you. He has tested you. He will test you. He tests your faith. Right? But you have to remember, testing comes from God. Temptation comes from Satan. So when you're tested... Learn to distinguish between trials and temptations, right? Because Satan will tempt you, but the Lord will test you, right? So God tests you to build your faith or possibly to reveal your faith as he's doing here for Abraham, right? Satan tempts us to do what? To destroy our faith. See, God knows the faith that you have even when you don't know that you have it. The only way that we advance or that we grow in our faith is for the Lord to test us and sometimes reveal to us the faith that we have that we didn't know we had. This is what he's doing, actually, with Abraham. This is a test to reveal Abraham's faith. It's not a test to grow or to produce faith in Abraham. Abraham already has faith. Abraham is the father of faith. right? Abraham believes God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham has faith. Abraham's faith has grown dramatically since he was 75 years old and the Lord called him out of the era of the Chaldeans and now he's probably 130 some odd years old, right? His faith has grown dramatically. 
But God's revealing it to him how great his faith is by testing him in this way. This inc- I mean, I can't even fathom this test, right? It's just like, I'm going to test you, and this is how I'm going to test you, Abraham. Of course, Abraham doesn't know that it's a test, right? And he says, take your son, your only son. Now, he says again, you know, we've been over this, but your only son, Isaac, is it Abraham's only son? No, it's not Abraham's only son. He has Ishmael as well. But as far as God is concerned, it is his only son. It is his beloved son. It is Isaac. Right? It says, take your only son whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. Right? Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which means there are more than one mountain in the land of Moriah, right? of which I shall tell you. Take your son, your only son. It's the first use of the word love here. And it's interesting about the, the, this use of the word love is that it's not a love of a man for his wife. It's not a love of a ma- mother for her children. It's not brotherly love. It's not a love of a country. It's not even Abraham's love for God. What is the love that's being, this being described here? It's the love of a father for his son. Right? That's the first use of this word for love here in the Bible. It's used in connection now with sacrifice. Right? It's used in connection with a sacrificial offering that only, right, offering of your only beloved son. Oh. Hmm. Right? I mean, this really, this picture here of, that we see that's described of love, of Abraham's love for his son, that God says, your only son, the one whom you love. Right? It's the most complete and meaningful concept of the very word itself, of love. The picture a love of a father has for his son. The picture of God the Father and God the Son. Right? Matthew 3.17, if you remember when Jesus was being baptized, right? Behold, a voice came out of the heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what God the Father spoke of Jesus. Right? In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. But then it says in 1 John chapter 4, 9 through 11, it says, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, it says. In this is love that, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the picture of love that we're seeing here in this first use of the word. So God asks Abraham, take a three-day journey and go sacrifice your son. I have a specific spot picked out in the land of Moriah. I will show it to you when you get there. Go, head out with your son and sacrifice him, a burnt offering to me. Right? To do with this specific spot, specific mountain in the land or in the region of Moriah. What's that, what's that specific spot? Well, most people say that it's Mount Moriah. Now, if you know what Mount Moriah is, you may know what Mount, Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem. No? Yes? It's the Temple Mount. Okay? Mount Moriah in Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. Now, 
for example, Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord, so this would be the second temple, in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, right? where the Lord had appeared to David his father. Now it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that the Mount Moriah that they built, the second temple on, was the same mountain that Abraham offered his son Isaac up on. It doesn't actually say that anywhere in the Bible. But the Jews teach that that is the mountain that Abraham brought Isaac on to sacrifice him. That is the mountain that God had picked out. Right? Now this specific spot, of course, in Israel is the most disputed piece of real estate in the world. Okay? Right? Yeah, so the Temple Mount's an incredibly sacred area to, to Christians, to Jews, to Muslims, right? I mean, the Dome of the Rock. The Muslims have the, the Dome of the Rock. Matter of fact, the Dome of the Rock, which is the, oldest, the world's oldest surviving, surviving work of, it, of Islamic architecture, because it was built, well, it was built way back in like the 500s or the 600s AD, and then it uh, was demolished. It fell down, it, you know, and they had to rebuild it, and they rebuilt it in 1015. So, and finished it somewhere like in 1022. So literally like a thousand years ago. It's been standing there, that piece of architecture, sorry, uh, has been standing there on the Temple Mount uh, for a thousand years. And it actually covers what they call the foundation stone of Mount Moriah. Right? It's the only piece of bare rock that you can find on the Temple Mount. It's about 60 feet by 40 feet and rises about six feet from the floor, from the Temple Mount floor. It's the only piece of bare rock on, the, on Mount Moriah or the Temple Mount that's shown and it's covered by the Dome of the Rock. That's why they call it the Dome of the Rock. Anyway, it's impressive, obviously. One of the most photographed, if not the most photographed structure in you know, Jerusalem. You know, I don't have a picture of it. I should have brought one, but you guys know what I'm talking about, the Dome of the Rock. You can just type it in if you don't. Google it, Dome of the Rock. You'll see a beautiful, there's a lot of beautiful pictures of the Dome of the Rock. So the Temple Mount or Mount Moriah is where the Jews teach that Abraham bought, brought Isaac to be sacrificed. Now the Muslims teach that Abraham brought Ishmael. Okay. Now also the Muslims teach that Mount Moriah is not in, not in Jerusalem, it's in uh, Mecca, Saudi Arabia. So, you know, there's a few issues there. But they teach a lot of other things also concerning uh, the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. We're not going to go down that road. But basically, that's the area that the Jews teach Abraham about Isaac to be sacrificed. Now, I'm not sure how you would respond if God asked you to take your child to be sacrificed um, and you're probably thinking, well, he wouldn't. So, whew, right? I don't really have to worry about it, right? And I say to you, hold on to that thought. But Abraham's response to God here is legendary. I mean, he's in the hall of faith for this, right? In Hebrews chapter 11. And his response was this. It's in verse 3. It says, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place that God had told him. His response was immediate. It didn't show any outward reluctance. He just got up, got ready, took his son, and went to where God had told him to go. 
There was no, Lord, what are you talking about? This is my only son. You want me to sacrifice him? There was no argument with God. There was nothing to that. Abraham just went where God told him to go. He took wood for the burnt offering. Why wood? I mean, you know, why a burnt offering, I mean? Because, I mean, that's a complete surrender. That's an ultimate sacrifice. You're giving everything to God. You're burning it all up, right? It tells us in Hebrews 11 that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he, right? And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham didn't hesitate because Abraham knew at least two things about what God was asking him to do. One, God asked him to do it. He knew it was God. It wasn't anybody else. This wasn't some crazy loon asking him to go off and sacrifice his son. Right? This wasn't a cult leader. This was God. He knew it was God. He had a relationship with God. He knew God's voice. He knew God was asking him to do this. And second, he believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead if needed. There is, there is no record in your Bible up to this point of any resurrection. Abraham hadn't seen anybody resurrected before. But Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead if needed. That's okay. I'll do it. Sure, Lord. Because I know you'll raise him from the dead. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy to have the kind of faith where God asks you to sacrifice your son and your answer is yes. I'll do it. I'm not going to question anything. I'm not going to protest anything because I know the Lord is asking and I trust the Lord. Right? Right? There, I mean, Spurgeon has a quote that says there's not a word of argument. There's not a solitary question that even looks like hesitation. Abraham basically is God is God. Right? And it's not for me to ask why or to seek a reason for his bidding. He said it, I will do it. Holy cow. Right? Here's another thing you have to understand. Abraham knew that God was faithful and he knew that he would resurrect Isaac even though no resurrections had ever happened because he knew it was impossible for God to break his promise concerning Isaac because he knew that God wasn't a liar. And he had promised, right, that through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So he says, God can't break his promise. God is not a liar. He promised me this through Isaac. So if God has asked me to sacrifice him, then God is going to raise him from the dead. And I believe that completely. Right? It's absolutely amazing faith to be able to just do that. So in verse 5, when they arrive at the mountain, right? And by the way, they arrived at the mountain on the third day. That's how we know it took three days to get there, but it's also the third day, right? So on the third day, after they have arrived at the mountain, and God shows them specific, this specific place on a mountain somewhere in Moriah. Here's the spot. Abraham tells his men, he says, stay here with the donkey, Isaac and I, we're going to head over there. We're going to worship the Lord and we'll come back to you. When Abraham says that, he's not misleading his men. He's not lying to them. Abraham absolutely 100% believes it. We'll come back to you. We're going to come back to you. Right? Abraham's faith is unwavering here. We will both come back to you. 
as soon as we're done worshiping the Lord. So Isaac carries the wood. Abraham grabs the fire and the knife. Right? There's, another, there's another quote that just says, unbelief would have left the knife at home, but genuine faith takes it. Abraham took the knife. Right? They went to the spot. Matter of fact, this is great. When they're walking up there, Isaac says to his dad, he says, hey, Abe, I notice we have the wood, we have the fire, but we're missing something for the sacrifice. Where's the lamb? This shows us that Abraham and Isaac had worshiped the Lord together before because Isaac knows exactly how this is supposed to go. It's not like this is his first time. He's done this before. He's like, I see we have everything that we're supposed to need, dad, but we're missing the lamb. Where's the lamb? And of course, Abraham's response, of course, he just says, God will provide himself the lamb for the offering. And Isaac says, okay. And it says, they went off together, which means that in the Hebrew, it means they went off in agreement. They were totally in agreement. Isaac followed and obeyed his father. Okay. The Lord's going to provide the lamb. Perfect. Right? So they get up there. And of course, Abraham had built many altars. He's, you know, he has it down to a science. He knows exactly how it goes. And they had, so they prepare the altar. He builds it. And then he binds up Isaac, right? And he puts him on top of the altar. How old is Isaac again? Right? At least 16, if not 30 years old. How old's, how old's Abraham? A hundred years older than Isaac. Abraham had to ride a donkey three days to get to where we're going. Isaac walked, right? What does that mean? That means Isaac could have put a herd on Abraham if he wanted to, right? Isaac could have taken Abraham out at the knees. He could have done a pile driver on him, come down on Abraham. There's like, if Isaac didn't want to go on top of that altar, Isaac was not getting on top of that altar because there's no way Abraham could have forced him to do it, right? But yet it was not my will, but yours be done. We talk about Abraham's faith all the time. What about Isaac's? What about Isaac's? To allow himself to be bound and put up on the altar as a sacrifice, willingly, when he could have just taken his dad out, right? And run off, right? Isaac was submissive and obedient unto death, doing the will of his father. So Abraham gets him up there and he reaches out his hand with the knife to slaughter his son, but God, but God. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. This is probably Jesus speaking to him directly. And he says, Abraham, Abraham. And again, Abraham says, here I am. I'm right here just about. Yes, Lord, right? And he says, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now I know you fear God. Abraham, in his willingness to sacrifice his only son, showed that his heart was surrendered completely to God. God displayed his heart towards us in the same way by giving us his only begotten son. Abraham looks up. He sees the ram caught in the thicket. He offers up the ram instead of Isaac. And he names this spot. He names this specific location 
on a mountain somewhere in Moriah. Very important. He names this spot Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. Right? It's a prophetic statement if there ever was one. And Moses adds this. This is commentary by Moses. Right? Moses adds this. He says, says, so Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And then Moses adds this. As it is said to this day, right? This is added by Moses. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And then the Lord tells Abraham, basically what he's telling him here by restating his promises and reaffirming his promises with Abraham, he's telling him, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he's telling him. This is the last time that the Lord is going to speak personally to Abraham. We're not going to see the Lord speak to Abraham again before Abraham passes, which isn't that many chapters from now. It's coming around the corner, right? See, God didn't test Abraham to prove anything to himself because God already knew what Abraham would do. This wasn't a test to produce faith. This was a test to reveal faith. And so he revealed just how great Abraham's faith was to Abraham. And of course he stopped him and in a sense resurrected Isaac on the third day and said, well done, good and faithful servant. You wouldn't even withhold your son from me. Now I know how much you love me. It's amazing. And he tells him and he sums up this, all these promises, right? (laughs) The angel of the Lord swears to himself, Because I myself have sworn, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. It's the first word use of the word obey here in the Bible as well. He obeyed God's voice right? Because your obedience should be to God first, right? Your obedience should be to God first. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments or you will obey my commandments, right? And then he follows also, he follows that up like later in John, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, right? And he who loves me will be loved by the father and I will love him and manifest myself to him, right? It's an act of love. It's an act of worship. When you obey the commandments of God. You're worshiping and loving the Lord. And the Lord is telling Abraham, blessed are you, Abraham. Blessed. Right? Abraham loved God. Abraham believed God. Abraham did what God asked, and God blessed him because of his obedience and because of his, because of his faith. We know this story. It's an amazing picture it's an amazing step of faith from Abraham. So I'm not sure that any of us would ever do in that way. If the Lord literally came and asked us to sacrifice one of our children. Now, a couple of things that I think we should take from this. And I, and I think, you know, there's two things that stand out, of course. Uh, but I think one of the things that we need to take from this is probably something that you've never thought of before. Or maybe... Maybe you have, I don't know. 
we read how Abraham was obediently willing to offer up Isaac without reluctance, right? He just saddled up his donkey and grabbed the provisions they needed and headed off to the mountain, which is just crazy to wrap my head around how fast Abraham responded to the Lord asking him to sacrifice his son. He just said, yes, Lord, come on, Isaac, let's go, right? And I, you know, and I say, well, how fast, you know, well, what would your response have been if the Lord asked you? what would your response be? And I think that if we're being honest, most of us would say my response would be no way, right? No way. I'm not sacrificing my kid. I'm not doing it. No way, right? But then we, of course, we usually follow that up with, like I said earlier, to help justify our response is that, well, the Lord wouldn't literally ask me to do that anyway. I'm pretty sure I'm safe from having to do that. Because the Lord's not going to literally ask me to take my son on a three-day journey and build an altar and sacrifice him. It's just not going to happen. But I'm going to tell you this. The Lord has asked that of you. The Lord has asked that of you. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. The truth of this passage is that we as parents, we have to in faith put our kids on the altar. We need to give our kids to the Lord and allow the Lord His will, not ours, in their lives. I mean, do, you, do you understand that? When you try to shape and mold the children in your image, you know, and you may, may be a great sculptor, right? But, but if you withhold them from God, then, then and if you think that your plans for them are better than God's plans for them, then you're no better than Abraham and Sarah trying to fulfill the promise through Hagar. And you can see how that turned out. Right? That was a mess, and still is to this day. So yes, God may not literally show up and ask you to sacrifice your child as a burnt offering. I hope he never does. (laughs) Right? But spiritually, he's asking for you to surrender your kids to him. All of them. The whole of them. Burnt offering. Right? Just as he wants all of you. Right? He wants all of your life. He wants your spouse. He wants your kids. He wants your relationships. He wants everything 100%. Not 95. Not 85. Not 75. Not 50. He wants 100% of your life. He wants it all. Right? He wants you to die to self. You're crucified with Christ. It is no longer you that lives, but it is Christ that lives in you. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's what he wants. You were purchased for a price. And guess what? Your kids were also. You don't own them. God does. So honor God. Trust God. Worship the Lord. And in that you will be blessed. God blesses you when you fear God and do not withhold anything from Him. Not even your kids. Now, of course, the main thing that we see in this chapter is Jesus. We've talked about how Isaac is a type of Jesus, right? Typology. 
They were both promised sons and only sons. They were both born after a period of delay. They were both given names rich with meaning before they were born. They're both births occurred at God's appointed time. Both births were miraculous, etc. But we saw more in this chapter of that typology, right? They were both submissive to the point of death. They both carried their crosses. Isaac carried wood up the mountain, all the way to the mountain, as a matter of fact. Right? They were both delivered from death on the third day. Christ rose on the third day. Isaac was delivered from death by the angels. Is that coming down Broadway? Exciting. They were both loved by their father. Right? Christ went to the cross obediently. Isaac allowed himself to be bound and put on the altar obediently. It was the will of his father, and guess what? He did the will of his father. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's what Jesus said. I'm here to do the will of my father. Not my will, but your will be done, is what Jesus said. That's how Isaac was as well. But let's look at the specific spot where Isaac was offered up this specific spot on this mountain somewhere in Moriah. Right? I tell you that the, that the Jews teach that this is Mount Moriah, right? the Temple Mount, which makes sense in the sense that that's where the temple would be built and that's where sacrifices would be. And we have this first use of the word Moriah. It's only used twice in the entire Bible, both Old Testament, right? And, and, you know, and it has to do with sacrifice. Right? The first use is here with Abraham taking his son, and the second use is when you hear about Solomon building the temple on Mount Moriah. So, okay, yeah, Mount Moriah, sacrifice, I understand. Abraham took his son up the mountain, Mount, the Temple Mount today. But Abraham calls the spot Jehovah Jireh. Right? The Lord will provide. And the Lord did provide. The Lord provided a ram. Well, some Hebrew scholars say that the phrase actually means the Lord sees. Or the Lord is seen. They actually both work. They can't actually agree on what Jehovah Jireh means. It's like, you know, 50-50. Most people believe it means the Lord will provide, but then there are those who say, well, you know, this one little mark in Hebrew you put that right there and where it is in some of the translations, that means the Lord sees or the Lord will be seen. Hey, I, I don't have a problem with either one of them. They both work. But so in this area in the land of Moriah, this first mention of Moriah, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say, yes, Temple Mount, because we want to put the two together. Seems cool. And, you know, temples were generally built on the highest point of the mountain. And they did that so that the people would look up to the temple. Right? Oh, that's where our salvation is. Right? It's up there at that temple at the highest point of the mountain. Right? But guess what? The Temple Mount in Jerusalem is not the highest point of Mount Moriah. It's not. There's another little mountain in Jerusalem, which at the time of Christ was outside the city. Today the city has expanded. 
It's a little larger, right? And there were many mountains in Moriah, as we learned from verse 1. God said, take him to the land of Moriah, and I will show you which mountain. Well, that means there was more than one. There's a mountain range. There's the Mount Moriah, the range of mountains, right? A mountain range in Moriah. Of course, a mountain in Jerusalem is like a hill, right? You understand? It's not like Mount Rainier or anything like that. It's like a hill, right? You can walk up it. It's like, oh, there's that movie with Hugh, Jack, Hugh Lord. I don't remember the guy's name. Anyway, I went up the hill, came down the mountain, something like that. Anyway, it's kind of like that. So it's this hill. Anyway, there's, there's more than one mountain. So the highest point of Mount Moriah is not the Temple Mount. It's actually about a quarter mile away, give or take. It's this other little mountain, part of the same mountain range, if you will. And it's called Golgotha. It's called Calvary. Jesus said in John 2.19, he said, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, guess what? When Jesus was crucified, he was raised up in three days. In the highest mountain, at the highest point of elevation, in Mount Moriah, in Jerusalem, in Calvary. There on that mountain, the Lord provided. God himself provided the true lamb. Jesus, right? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I say that Golgotha, or Calvary, is the mountain that Abraham went up. Not the Temple Mount. Abraham offering Isaac is a picture of Christ on Calvary. It's a remarkable picture of the work of Jesus on the cross thousands of years before it actually happened. And when God asked Abraham for the ultimate demonstration of love and commitment and obedience to God, he asked for Abraham's son. When God the Father wanted to show us the ultimate demonstration of his love and commitment, he gave us his only son. The whole world saw Christ raised up. Right? For your sin, for my sin, for everyone's. And on that mountain, on Calvary, guess what? The Lord was seen. And the Lord was provided. Right? And the Lord provided. That's the Mount Moriah that Abraham went up. I have no doubt. Because God picked that specific mountain to give this specific picture of his great love for us, shown through Abraham's love for his son. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The Lord provided. Right? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this great picture in, in, the, in Genesis here. This great picture of how you provide for us. You provided for what we truly need, which is to be rescued from our sin. And this picture of what we see of Abraham here and his great love towards his son and how he's willing 
to obediently sacrifice him because God asked was really just a picture that thousands of years later God would do through his son, Jesus. We thank you for this. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for our salvation that is found in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this great picture and what it means for us. We pray, Lord, that we can continue to share the hope that is found in Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.